second October series this month uh, that is really designed to, uh, to equip us in really toughening our hearts for relationships that need to go much deeper in the body of Christ. And uh, that's going to be our theme this month. Uh, I really am praying that the Holy Spirit moves today, the rest of the month, as we, uh, as we really take a fresh look at our own hearts when it comes to our relationships in the body of Christ and uh, are really embracing one another Christianity and really going after helping each other in Christ mature in Christ. And uh, the uh, theme for this month is two, two are better than one. And uh, really, I think there's a... there's fewer better themes to really convey this month what we want to be on your heart than, uh, than really realizing that the Christian life is, uh, is not a solo event. Uh, it's not a marathon. We talked about it being a relay, but we also want you to know it's not a solo event either, that, uh, that we desperately need one another and we need depth in our relationships with each other. Two are truly better than one. And so our uh, theme passage this morning is found in the book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, and I'll be reading from the NLT version of this. It says this, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, well, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Two are better, the Bible says, than one. Why? Well, because they can help each other succeed. you want to succeed in your spiritual life? Do you want that crown of victory at the end of your Christian walk? You know, you're going to need deep relationships to make it to heaven. You know, the Bible says in another rendition of this verse, pity the man who falls and has no one to help help him up. And I can tell you, as someone who now has been living the Christian life for nearly four decades, there are going to be times when you're going to stumble. There are going to be times when you're going to grow weary. There are going to be times when you fall. And man, we need others in our lives to help us succeed, that can reach out and that can help as this passage teaches. Can I just be real honest with you? Let me be real honest. Too many of us really right now are living the Christian life like it's a solo event, a solo sport. And uh, I think if you're really honest in examining your life this month and examining your heart this month, the Holy Spirit, through his word, that uh, we're not unique in God's church to understand how important it is to have a village around us 
uh, a, a, a stable of good, close friends and brothers and sisters to help us and hold up our arms. You know, the Navajo people, the Navajo people have an interesting term for those in their community who have fallen, stumbled, gone astray. The worst, the absolute worst social characterization the Navajo can offer of a thoughtless, deviant person is the charge that they act as if they have no relatives. That's how they describe someone who has really gone astray. They act like they have no relatives. I think sometimes a lot of us, again, if I can be completely candid, we live the Christian life like we have no spiritual relatives. And then we wonder why we lack the joy, lack the focus on our mission, lack the growth as we look back in our life over the last six months, wonder why we so easily fall into sin, and I'm telling you, for many of us, it's though we're acting as if we have no relatives. You know, that phrase tells us a lot. It tells us that in the Navajo mindset, being embedded in meaningful relationships is a powerful reinforcement of more action. You see, a man with no relatives, the Navajo feel, is a man with no one to hold them accountable. No one to correct them. No one to occasionally rebuke them. And certainly no one to encourage them as we so often need in living our lives. Likewise, when we remove ourselves from the active relationship God and his family, the church, intends for our life, we really do lose, guys, one of the greatest protections that God has built into our spiritual service. I'll tell you this. I didn't grow up in a decade like this decade. And we have, as you know, a little granddaughter now, and I've often said to Connie, can you imagine what it would be like today to raise our three children? And i got to tell you, it was hard when they were young, 30, 25, 20 years ago, but it was uh, not easy even when I was young. But nothing like people are facing today, if I can just be candid. And I, uh, I remember a, a, an eventful time in my life where there were numerous times where I was really tempted to do something sinful. Really tempted to push the boundaries. Really tempted to do something stupid. And I got to tell you, the thing that was my governor on that, the thing that was my check on that that kept me out of more serious sin was my relationship, my close relationship with my mom and my dad. And I can remember so many times thinking, I can do this, 
And right now, I might actually get away with it. But if I ever got caught, how would I ever face my mom and dad? Now, a lot of people don't have that kind of relationship with their parents. And, you know, I'm so grateful for our mentoring groups when, you know, there's a great emphasis now on relationships with uh, the parent and the child and when there's been conflict, restoring that relationship. But I got to tell you that, uh, you know, the bottom line is we need a community around us. And Christianity, as I say again, is not a solo event. You know, accountability That's kind of what we're talking about here. Accountability is a great buzzword among Christians. It sounds like a great idea. But for so many, we're just not practicing it. And what is a great theory in practicality is neglected. Do you know that one survey found that even among those in the Christian community... The survey found that even among those in the Christian community who meet regularly with a small group from their church, and in these mega churches now, there's a lot of effort to try to have smaller groups that you can connect with if you choose to connect with. Do you know that only 7% of those surveyed said that accountability was one of the functions of their group? 7%. I got this email a while back from a brother, a dear friend of mine in Canada in the Canadian church. He's a uh, Canadian entrepreneur, very successful one I might add. He's a uh, tent maker because he often does so much on his dime in the ministry. And yet he uh, has expressed over the years a sense of frustration that the church that he's a part of has wandered from close relationships and from embracing accountability in one's life as he remembers it. And he said, Mark, I listened to your lesson on mentoring groups. I remember you sharing with us, a few of us, your thoughts and notes on this topic a few years back. People pay thousands and thousands of dollars for this in the secular world. It's called mastermind groups, etc. It's what all the biggest performance coaches teach, and we in the church can have it all for free and with love. He goes on to say the reason why we don't embrace it, in my opinion, is that we do not want to change. We do not want to grow. We do not want to do what it takes to bring people to Christ, to lose weight, to rid lust, to be servants to our wives and our children, to be debt-free, to be better communicators from the pulpit, etc., Thank you for the reminder. Much love. And he signs his name. You know, I think he nailed it. 
I think he had the boldness to say what a lot of people are actually hem-hauling around and making excuses so they don't have to say what is really the issue. And the issue is accountability can be painful because it gets you out of your comfort zone and it moves you towards Christ. And just as Peter fell on his knees at one point early on and said, go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man, don't you think that that is in our hearts many times as well when we contemplate whether we really want to have these kind of relationships that biblically God says are essential if we're going to make it to heaven. You know, I looked up what accountability is defined as. It's the state of being held responsible for others. I mean, think about that. Look at that role you're sitting on right now. Look at the person right now. You're looking at me. Look at the person you're sitting next to. Do you really want to be held responsible for them? But that's really what accountability is. It's defined again as the state of being held responsible for one's actions, one's conducts, one's and results. It's synonymous with the word answerable. You know, someday we're going to have to give an answer to God for our life. And what I've concluded, call me a simple man, but what I've honestly concluded is I would much rather be held accountable in this life by a close brother or even a close sister like my wife than all of a sudden be surprised on the day of judgment and be held accountable for the first time. I I need you to hold me accountable here on earth. Don't you need the same? We had a uh, we had a great uh, mentoring group time on Friday night with uh, those in the pace sitter, the mentoring group leaders, and uh, on the drive home from what I thought was uh, you know I think we'd all probably that were there would agree was a very encouraging night. I got some helpful input on the way home because on one occasion towards the end of the group I had asked for some input on kind of our holiday schedule, and uh, Connie humbly and very respectfully pointed out, you know, you asked for input, but your body language said you didn't really want it. And she said, I just really want to encourage you to be careful with that, because I know you want it, but, but you, got, you got almost shut down too fast. And, you know, I, I said to her without much hesitation, Thank you. You're right. And I, looking back, can see I did that. And, you know, i got to tell you, I've been doing this for a long time, a really long time, maybe too long, some of you think. But i got to tell you, you never get above the point, I've learned, where you don't need objective eyes into your life, your actions, your conduct. And uh, I'm so grateful that I married someone who loves me enough to be very respectful, and Connie is amazingly respectful, but to still speak the truth. Because I want to be the best leader I can be, and I think you want to be the best Christian you can be. 
But you're foolish to think that you're going to have it all figured out and you don't need accountability in your life. And so this morning with the limited time I have left, let me look at two specific aspects of, a, of accountability Two fundamental questions that I want to answer on this subject as we are now hopefully breaking open our heart and saying, okay, Lord, get me ready for real relationships as you intended them to be. The first one is, number one, why are we to practice accountability? I've kind of elaborated on that. I want to answer it a little more specifically And number two, what does accountability even look like? Godly, biblical accountability. Let's look at the first question. Why are we to practice accountability? Well, let's stop and think for just a moment about this thought. Have you ever thought what society would be like without accountability in our life? I mean, just imagine... Once again, and I've used this illustration before, but it's a great one. Just imagine you're on your way to service this morning. And by the way, guys, congratulations. You did so much better today getting here on time. Give yourself an applause. But imagine you're, you're coming to church, you're, 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 you're trying to, to make it early, and you see the uh, newly posted speed limit signs, and it says... 65 miles per hour, and then underneath in big letters, suggested speed. I mean, you know what you ought to be driving, but the inference is, hey, no one's going to get bent out of shape if you're going 70, 75, 90. What do you think it would be like driving to church if there was no accountability? I don't know if you guys know this, but right on the west side of DFW Airport, I think it's the Euless Police, they've got a great little speed trap there going. It drops about 60 on the 360 there, and uh, here I am on Sunday morning, you know, this is the day the Lord has made, let us rejoice and be glad in it, and I'm driving, you know, kind of minding my own business, and I look over on the other side, the northbound, And there are the lights, and there's someone pulled over, and I said to Connie, man, that is a speed trap. Why do they drop it? I think they drop it to 60 miles per hour there, and it's wide open. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to go there any more than I already have, but I'm just saying. (laughs) The flip side of that is, it's really good to know the police still work on Sunday mornings. Because I'd hate to think if everybody knew they took Sundays off too to be in church, all of them, and we could just do whatever we want on the freeways on Sunday morning. But you know, a lot of us go through life like that. We go through even the church fellowship like that thinking, you know, I'll come this morning, I'll put on my spiritual game, and then I'll go home this afternoon and I'll be who I really am. And no one's going to know. You know, if this presidential campaign has taught us anything, uh, there is no privacy anymore. And in the spiritual life, there's no privacy either. Because uh, we're going to have to give an account someday for even every careless word 
the Bible says that we've spoken. Would you must rather be held accountable right here when you can actually repent, deal with it, change? And then when you stand before your father, you're, you're, you're pretty ready for your final exam because you've prepped. You know, bottom line is Thomas Paine said, a body of men holding themselves accountable to nobody ought not to be trusted by anybody. How would you feel if your evangelist just got up here and preached every Sunday and that was my responsibility and that was pretty much it for my responsibility and I didn't have any relationships with any of the other staff. I barely knew the elders. We kind of kept our distance and I just showed up and did my thing and went home, got a paycheck and called it a day. Man, that that would be real trusting, wouldn't it? You know, I think you probably like knowing your evangelist gets uh, held to a standard by his wife after he leads a D group. That made you feel pretty good, didn't it? Go ahead, admit it. Wow, let's give Connie some high fives in the fellowship today. I think you'd be pretty glad to know that, that people ask me, how I'm doing spiritually. They ask me what I'm studying in my Bible studies. They ask me how I'm doing in my purity. They ask me how I'm doing in many areas of my life. And I just got to tell you guys, uh, you know, bottom line is we've got to stop living our Christian life like the, uh, the uh, police have every Sunday morning off. Our God, on the other hand, takes the whole week off, and certainly your brothers and sisters do. You know, what is a church going to look like if, if we say it's 65 miles an hour, but it's a suggested speed, what's the church going to look like if we say, well, this is what the Bible teaches, but no one's going to mess with you if you don't hold to it? Well, I'll, I'll tell you what that church is going to look like. It's going to look like a church where missing a midweek is no longer frowned upon. And no one's going to question your judgment on why you weren't there. It's going to be a church where preaching is very non-confrontational, more palatable. You know, feel good. It's a fellowship that is no longer distinct. It's just another group. And people, you know, will talk about the, uh, the game this afternoon and the real test for the Cowboys But no one's going to ask you about your Bible study this week. They're going to be talking about the Bengals instead of the Bible. The Bengals instead of the Bible. Involvement in each other's lives outside of worship service? Are you kidding me? It's shallow at best. Maybe you're just going to post pictures of your granddaughter that week. Maybe you're just going to send an occasional text, hey, Traffic's really bad tonight. How was your commute home? But, but forget about practicing one another Christianity that week. Sin, well, gosh, sin, it's just tolerated. Because we never ask each other about our purity. You know, someone's got a bad attitude, we might even listen to it. And not say, hey, before you go any further, you, you sound like you have a pretty rough attitude here. 
Have you gone and talked to this person and have you shared with them exactly what you've just shared with me? I'll tell you what, do it today because the Bible says don't let the sun go down on your anger. And I'll do this. I'll talk to you tomorrow morning. And if you and I both need, you've gotten this right. You know, it's a church where divorce is no longer even shocking. Where it's an acceptable outcome to two people who just have fallen out of love. Members are in love with the world more than their God, and so they wholeheartedly pursue their careers. And then they wonder why their children get into the high school years and don't have a passion for Christ. Well, they've seen it modeled perhaps in the home. I'm just trying to help you understand these aren't suggested speed limits by God. This is the law. This is commands. And there is going to be a reckoning someday. And Daniel Webster, another great founding father, said this. He said, my greatest thought is my accountability to God. I'm going to be preaching in a few weeks at our congregational service, the first Sunday in November. I've been working on that sermon. And I'll let you know a little thought, it's, it's going to be on heaven. And uh, to me, I'm, I've just got deep convictions Christians don't think about the afterlife nearly enough. I appreciate so much what Chakra said on Wednesday about really at the end of his incredible presentation about really are we even thinking about eternity and the longevity of that life and laying up treasure up there instead of down here for a few years. And I, uh, I got to tell you, Daniel Webster challenges me when he says, my greatest thoughts is my accountability to God. You see, you know if that's your greatest thoughts, because you know right now if you're embracing biblical relationships in your life or you are neglecting them, or dare I say even running from them. We've got to put an end to the truce. The truce that I won't challenge you if you don't challenge me. I won't hold you accountable, hey, if you don't hold me accountable. That is the unspoken but well-accepted truce in our fellowship these days. And the only problem with that truce is Satan isn't a part of it. He's not declared a truce on us. He's waging his war on us to damn us for eternity. And in many cases, he's having a lot of success. And so it's time to have an end to the false truce. It really is no truce at all because we need to prepare for the war we're in. You know, I'll close with my fellow Italians here. I love to share things on the ancient Romans. And the ancient Romans had an interesting practice when it came to accountability. And this is the conclusion of point one. Why are we to practice accountability? They, uh, they had an interesting practice. Whenever, whenever one of their engineers constructed an arch 
As the capstone, and there's a picture, Christy, you can put up. As the capstone was hoisted into place, they would actually, no joke, have the engineer assume accountability for his work in the most profound way possible. He would stand directly under that arch when they lowered the capstone into place. Now, i got to tell you, I've had the privilege of traveling all throughout Italy as a young man with my Italian father. That's a recent picture of an arch that goes back to the Roman era in Italy. I'll tell you what, it's amazing the longevity that we can build, the eternity we can build spiritually when we hold each other to a high standard of accountability. The last and final point is a question that I desire to answer, and that is, what does accountability even look like? Well, let me share with you one passage in Galatians chapter 6. Are you guys still with me out there? I'll start preaching in Espanol if that helps. And I got to tell you, it's ugly, so you don't want me to go there to keep your attention. Galatians 6, 1 says simply this. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help the person back on the right path. Share each other's burdens. And in this way, obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone, let me put that in modern lingo. Too busy because you're too important. You got too much going on to help someone. You are only fooling, fooling yourself. You are not that important. Dude, I love that. Okay, Carl loves it too, man. I love it. I love how the Bible just smacks us upside the chops sometimes. Because really, Paul nails it here. Or should I say the Holy Spirit through Paul nails it here. Because let's face it, if we're really going to be honest with why we don't have deeper relationships and more consistent weekly involvement in a few people in our life, it's because we would say, if we're really honest, we're too busy. I come home from work, you don't understand, I'm tired, and I'm just too important. I don't have time for this. Boy, you know, the Christian minister and Christian author Chuck Swindoll was so concerned by seeing ministers burn out, quit, fall into sin, and get fired, that he came up with seven questions that he and a group of fellow ministers committed to challenge each other with personally and often. Let me share with you 
what accountability looks like. The number one question was, have you been with a woman anywhere this past week that might be seen as compromising? One of the first lessons I learned as a minister, by example and by teaching, is don't counsel women alone. And I just, for the most part, don't counsel women, period. Number two, and by the way, women get counseling, just so you know, if you're visiting. We let the women do it. Number two, have any of your financial dealings lacked integrity? One of my dear friends in the ministry in my lifetime was let go twice because of financial dealings. Not, not stealing money from the church finances, but his personal finances were an absolute disaster. It happens. And it can certainly happen in this materialistic world. Thirdly, Swindle says his group asked, have you exposed yourself to any sexually explicit material? You know, maybe the better question on that one is, what have you exposed yourself recently that's sexually explicit? Because a survey taken in the evangelical world showed that 70% of all men in the evangelical Christian world looked at pornography in the last month. And I got to tell you, for the women, it was lower, but not as low as you might think. Why do you think homosexuality is so rampant today? Because we've gotten so sanitized through pornography that it's just normal. And that it's normal for people to feel this way and experience this. And in fact, you're square if you're not. Do you not think in this day and age that's a relevant question that we should be asking each other? Men to men, women to women. Number four, here's a good one. Have you spent adequate time in Bible study and prayer? Really? You've got to ask ministers that? You bet you do. When was the last time in this fellowship you talked more about the Bible than you did the Bengals? What are you learning this week in your quiet time? Are you studying anything exciting this month? You know, one of the things I'll tell you that I know about Jamal, and Jamal, I didn't think you were going to be here today. I thought you were doing double duty. Great to see you and Risa, not at the campus retreat. They love our teens. But one of the things I'll tell you I know about Jamal as a young intern, it's pretty obvious to me the man loves the Bible. You can't fake it. He's in the Word. He's digging. And even when he prays, he prays with conviction because he lives the Bible. He embraces it. He feeds on it. Have you spent time in the Bible and in prayer? Great question. You know, you're not that important if you think you're too busy to have a quiet time before you head out to work. 
Have you given priority time, question number five, to your family? What do you think, Dave Rutier? Is that a decent question to ask? I think so. Number six, have you fulfilled the mandates of your calling? In other words, prayer and the ministry of the word. That's not just a question for ministers. The Bible says we're all ministers of reconciliation. Really, when was the last time we shared our faith? When was the last time we were fruitful? Maybe, just maybe, Satan has done a really good job of getting us dull because we're not sharpening each other in love. As the proverb says, a brother will sharpen one another. And then I love the final question, number seven, that these ministers have committed to asking in their group. Question number seven, you're going to love it. Have you just lied to me? Have you just lied to me? These are ministers. You know, constant reminder, no temptation has seized us except what is common to man. As I wind down my thoughts here, I want to ask you a question. How is it with your soul? How is it with your soul? You want to hear something sobering? We probably don't think that the Methodist church is on the cutting edge today in changing the world. In fact, I know a lot of Methodist churches that actually now have gay ministers. And I don't say that to talk down about the Methodist church. That's not my point here. And if you think it is, you're missing my heart and my point. There's no perfect church. But in the early Methodist movement, you might be shocked to know that many craved accountability and encouragement. Unable to personally meet all those needs, in the early days, the very early days, hundreds of years ago of the Methodist movement, their leadership established what they called class, class meetings, where small groups could gather to confess sin, encourage one another in the faith, and pray for each other's spiritual welfare. That was the goal of their class meetings. Confess sin, encourage each other in the faith, and pray for each other's spiritual welfare. Well, membership in class meetings required, first of all, a commitment to obey scriptures. So they said, okay, you can be a part of this small group, but you've got to be committed to really following the Bible. Sounds good to me. They were, as such, the original small mentoring group. Do you see that? Accountability groups, D groups, whatever you want to call them. And they were always marked with a specific greeting when people came in, say, on Wednesday night after work, and they greeted each other. They would simply ask the question, how is it with your soul? That was the question. They didn't say, hi, how was your day at work, or hey, good to see you. They just simply greeted one another very purposely with, 
How is it with your soul? And that's really the question I want to leave you with this morning. How is it right now, honestly, with your soul? You see, we could all take a page out of the early Methodist playbook and switch our focus from the customary greeting, how are you or how was your day, and replace it with the more penetrating greeting of the class meeting. How is it with your soul? We really need to take that page from the Methodists. But I will also tell you, I think we need to be sobered by where the Methodist church has drifted to today and say, are we in danger of making the same mistake? By running from one another Christianity, accountability, correction and encouragement, and running to the lie that Satan has set up to say, hey, this is church. This is what church looks like. A counterfeit Christianity. You know, I'm excited that the leadership in our region is very committed to teaching a proper view of one another Christianity. And we are purposely asking you in the month of October to set aside this month to pray, dare I say even fast, dare I say even break open the Bible and study out one another Christianity, maybe just study out in your quiet time the one another passages. You say, well, I'm already studying something in my quiet time that's really meeting my needs. Well, for the 5% of you that are great, I'm talking to the other 95% that probably aren't even having a quiet time. Is that a little harsh? I think it's a little honest. And I'm just saying, let's get into the scriptures and do what we need to do to get our hearts ready so that in the month of November, when we recommit to godly relationships, we will not only...